As with others before him, Jacob, son of Rebekah and Isaac, received a new name from the Lord that indicated something the Lord desired or foresaw he could become. Jacob's name change is an interesting one. From Jacob, which means supplanter, or one who grasps or clings, to Israel, which at least means, as President Nelson has taught us, one with whom God prevails. This week, we study Genesis 28-33 through 33 and dig into the account not just to see that letting God prevail is important, but to see exactly how to do it. Welcome to the Scripture Study Project. We are your hosts, Krista and Zach Horton, and this is our podcast where we study Scripture with you. Our goal each week is to help you discover new or renewed excitement for God and His Word, invest your heart and personal life into your study, and connect with others as you teach and learn together. Hey, welcome to this week's episode. We are studying in Genesis, more in Genesis, chapters 28 through 33 this week. And we are, again, continuing the saga. Can I call it a saga? saga. Kind of felt like that this week as I was reading. I'm like, wow, this is like a really interesting, I won't call it a soap opera, but a really good book. (laughs) Kind of is is a soap opera. Um, I did have my soap opera days. So I kind of know that for reals. I'm not just saying that. I don't. I was reading a little bit later on, but when Jacob gets back um, at the end of his journeys and he gets back to Isaac and I was like, wait, Isaac is still alive? So it was kind of a soap opera moment. (laughs) Yeah, because the soap operas, it's always the person comes back to life. (laughs) Oh, that's good. Okay. So yeah, Genesis 28 through 33. Um, lots of good stuff. Really a big overview, I would almost say of, or I felt like we really got to see Jacob growing up. We mm-hmm. see him um, his, having children, his wives. Um, yeah, it was a saga. And then he he kind of comes full circle and we're going to talk all about this. But um, I think what we decided to focus on was Jacob's name. At the end of this, Jacob gets his name changed to to Israel. And we all know recently that our prophet, President Nelson, has been talking a lot about Israel and the gathering of Israel. And in one of his, I think really the a landmark talk, I would say, from his um, presidency in as the president of the church, is this talk of let God prevail. I feel like that was a really... Um, just a theme of what he's been teaching us. And so actually we're going to start where our study question this week is comes from the prophet and from his talk called Let God Prevail, because as he's taught us, that is what Jacob, the name Jacob, turned to Israel. Israel means let God prevail. And so we're going to play a clip from that talk, from his conference address, and be back in just a minute. The question for each of us, regardless of race, is the same. Are you willing to let God prevail in your life? Are you willing to let God be the most important influence in your life? Will you allow His words, His commandments, and His covenants to influence what you do each day? Will you allow His voice to take priority over any other? Are you willing to let whatever he needs you to do take precedence over every other ambition? Are you willing to have your will swallowed up in his? 
You guys, these are some good questions. So many good questions. And that is what we get to study this week. Um, so relevant for all of us and obviously our prophet thinks so. I love at the beginning of his talk that he he mentions that, that for his 36 years as an apostle, um, 800 of his messages have included the theme of Israel. So this is a real thing that he has obviously been studied a lot about. And I think that makes it even more meaningful for us this week as we dig into these chapters and find out those answers for ourselves. What does this really mean for us and how can we let God prevail? Yeah. Well, I love those questions from President Nelson. And I think those are really personal ones that we can all ask ourselves as we're thinking about the story of Jacob this week. Uh, obviously, we can't answer those questions for you. But what we can do in this episode is provide uh, a little bit of insight into what it actually means to let God prevail and how you do it, at least how Jacob did it. Because for Jacob, getting to the point where he let God prevail was not an easy thing. Uh, we talked last week about the straight and narrow path being not so linear, but often a winding road. And Jacob's life has been a winding road. Uh, much of his life up to the point of this study has been uh, centered in some family conflict, relationship drama, and his own physical, uh, even emotional, mental exertions to try and uh, succeed in life. And it's interesting at the beginning of this study in chapter 28, he has this vision, which we'll talk about in a minute. But at the end of the vision, Jacob, this is verse 20, it says he vowed a vow saying, if God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go and will give me bread to eat and raiment to put on so that I come again to my father's house in peace, then shall the Lord be my God. So even here, uh, he hasn't yet made the Lord God his God. That will come later on. Uh, but he's outlining his, his journey that he's going to take, the expectations that he has. And it's a back and forth wrestle between him and the Lord until at the end of our study this week, he does. Um, this is the very last verse in chapter 33, erects an altar and calls it El Elohe Israel, which is God is the God of Israel. God is my God. He's now accepted that God is his God. And so what we get between these two bookends is the story of how someone lets God prevail in their life. And as we read it, I think there's a lot that we can pull from it from our own um, lives and our own spiritual journeys to let God prevail. Well, and I love that these stories, I the beginning of chapter 28, as Zach already read, it's this, it's this hopeful young Jacob, like, I'm ready for this journey. You know, Isaac tells him of who he needs to go marry and find, and he's off on this journey. And I picture this just wide-eyed, like, I'm ready to do this. Here I go. And and then we really do get to see this broad glimpse of, um, and I say glimpse because we feel like we know him well, but it is just a few chapters of, a, of his entire life. Um, but we see the end where he's this mature man who has been through a lot and seen a lot. And um, I love the way that the story ends. And I almost feel like I'm spoiling the end by talking about it, but that he, when he and Esau meet again, I just felt so much tenderness in that story and thinking of all the emotions and all the, um, all the things that he's been through. I love that we get to see almost 
the story of Jacob unfolding of who he is and his development as an adult and seeing those different stages of who he's becoming and how he becomes that. Um, I think it's really powerful for us in our own faith journeys to recognize that in our own paths and see the different ways that he responds to God and the way that he um, takes on his own journey. I think we can, at least for me, I felt myself identifying with those things of like, oh, okay, sometimes you feel this way and this happens and sometimes you don't feel that way. And um, I think taking a glimpse of his life and asking ourselves, what did he do to let God prevail? And how am I going to do that is kind of an exciting question. So that's where we're going to start. And hopefully this study gives you some ideas for for your own personal journey. So what we thought of as we studied, we noticed at least four, and maybe you'll find some others, at least four specific things that Jacob learns to let God prevail in in his life, specific areas where he's going to turn that aspect of his life over to God. And the first one is in the very beginning, chapter 28. Jacob has this incredible vision where he sees in verse 12, a ladder set up on the earth and the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it, or if you notice the footnote, beside it, and said, I am the Lord God of Abraham, thy father, and of the God of Isaac, the land whereon thou liest, thee will I give it, and to thy seed. Now, as I read this, um, I was picturing, trying to picture what this might have looked like for Jacob. And it uh, intrigued me that the word used here is ladder. I remember, um, this was a couple of years ago, but the first time that I looked at uh, one of the accounts of Joseph Smith's first vision and noticed that the description of the pillar of light had been revised multiple times. Uh, pillar of light had replaced pillar of fire or lightning, um, almost as if there was a struggle to describe what was being seen. What was being seen was so incredible and so bright and so overpowering the best words that Joseph could come up with is a pillar of light. Um, but that paled in comparison to what he actually saw. Similar, uh, Moses sees a burning bush, but the bush doesn't burn. Is it an actual bush on fire? Or is he trying to describe seeing something so glorious using the language that's available to him? Paul in the New Testament talks about being caught up in the third heaven. And those are just a few samples of individuals who are given an, a vision of God in his glory. And what's uh, common among each one of them is, first of all, the individual sees God in his glory. Uh, for Remember, we studied Moses a couple weeks ago. For Moses, it was a very humbling experience. Uh, for Jacob, it seems to also be a humbling experience. Uh, verse 16, he wakes out of his sleep and says, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I knew it not kind of reminds me of Moses saying, uh, for this cause, I know that man is nothing, which thing I had never before supposed. But the second thing that happens in each one of those is that God indicates his desire to be involved with them. Uh, a lot of the gods of this day, the surrounding gods of the different cultures that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the, the realm in which they're wandering, a lot of these gods are very distant gods, obviously, because they're not real. They're represented by, uh, by symbols or by idols. 
But they're not the kind of gods that get involved with you on a daily basis, that talk to you, that work with you. And so one of the most surprising things of this vision might have been that the God of heaven is telling Jacob, not only am I the God of heaven, look at this glory, but I want to be involved with you. I want to be a part of your life. I am intimately interested and connected to the story of your family. And I think it's that vision that prompts Jacob to make the vow that we mentioned at the beginning. I will let this God be my God. I want this to be my God. And so in all of that, the thing that Jacob is letting prevail, the thing that he's allowing to happen, is God's vision for him and for his family. Um, I don't know what kind of internal wrestles went on here, but I can imagine Jacob up to this point, as, as, as you mentioned, Krista, having some set of ideas for what his life would look like or be like. And here's God saying, let me tell you what it is that your life is going to look like. And uh, what a wrestle Jacob would go through to try and uh, allow that vision of his life to prevail over whatever notions he had himself. Wow, I think that's just a great one to start with. I think that that really answers those so many of those questions that President Nelson asked. Um, are we re- are we really willing to have our will swallowed up in his? And I think that's what we see happening in these stories. Um, and I think it's it's just exciting to think that that's something that we can each experience because I'm thinking of times in my life where um, I've really felt that where I've had to I'm going to use the word wrestle because it's going to come up <laughs> later in this in these verse in these um, chapters that we're studying but um, really had to wrestle to find out if God was there and find out if you know what He wanted me to do and. I just think how worth it it's been every time um, that even when it's felt like a wrestle or felt really hard or confusing, that um, seeking God has always paid off for me, hmm. which brings up our next point, but also is part of the hard part of this is how do we get his instructions? How do we understand them? Um, but it's all kind of tied together in that is seeking and finding out who God is and seeking to understand what he wants us to do and how do we do that really? Yeah. So that's the next thing that Jacob allows to prevail in his life is God's instruction. Um, I, I thought this was a, a little glimpse into emotions, which you don't catch very often in the scriptures. In chapter 30, verse uh, verses one and two, Rachel envies her sister, says to Jacob, give me children or else I die. And Jacob's anger was kindled against Rachel. And he said, am I in God's stead? And what's captivating to me about that is up to this point, Jacob, probably learning a little bit from his mother, Rebecca, has been very hands-on in in securing for himself the blessings that he felt were promised to him. And here's a moment where Jacob realizes, I can't, there is no way that I can muscle this blessing to happen. I know that the blessing is promised. Um, it's something that I want. It's something I know the Lord wants for me, but there's nothing I can do about it. And so he has to allow God to instruct him and instruct his family and design how this is going to work. And if I'm thinking of my own personal wrestles, a lot of times this is exactly the one I struggle most with. Uh, I can I can get that God has a vision for me and my family, but sometimes it's uh, it's identifying and then following the instructions 
that can be difficult. That's actually what I liked about this story or those couple verses where you do get that emotion that you mentioned, because I kind of read it differently, almost this frustration of like, I don't know. Like I'm running out of answers. I don't know the answer to that. And maybe that's almost a catalyst too, to allowing Rachel to, to seek God out on her own. It says in verse 22 of chapter 30, then God remembered Rachel. He listened to her and opened her womb. Um, I also think that it's kind of cool to note that maybe the frustration that Jacob was facing led, um, to him to getting some help. Like maybe Rachel said, you know what, I'm going to go. I, this is me reading into it, but I like the idea of that. Um, we see people receiving instructions in different ways Mm -hmm. and for different parts of their journey. So I think that that's, that's an important piece of this. And obviously this is kind of a complicated one. Like how do you really receive instructions? It's all probably goes back to all of those questions that president Nelson asked at the beginning is it's just kind of all a piece of, what we're seeking for as we seek God. So really the next question is, is once we get that instruction or that vision, then how do we get the strength to prevail and to let, let God lead us? And I love the way that this is illustrated by Jacob. Um, I think all throughout his life, but particularly, I guess I liked, I liked the overview that we get of Jacob's, like I mentioned before of his life. Um, because it does kind of seem like just this wrestle, which that's kind of how life is, I guess. But as we get into, um, chapter 32, I really felt like this wrestle that they describe starting in verse 24 was kind of just symbolic of the whole story of his whole story of his wrestle, but it gets more specific. And in here it says that he, he wrestled with a man all night. And then we find out that it was most likely an angel, but there's not a lot of clarity as far as what, what this actually is supposed to represent or what it looked like. Um, but here it talks about him, um, trying to find out who he is and what God wants him to do and to have the strength to do it because he's preparing for this really hard thing. He's preparing to meet, to meet Esau, his brother that he betrayed long ago and hasn't seen him. And we see in those preceding verses of chapter 32 that he's ready to fight. He's ready to protect his people because he's worried about what Esau's going to do. And we see him praying and then comes the wrestle. And so here he is really seeking after that strength from God. It's very indicative of a theme that's going to show up all throughout our Old Testament study where God wants an individual or a group of individuals or a nation to learn that he is the only strength sufficient for them to accomplish the vision and the instructions that he's given them. And so with Jacob, it's very similar. Uh, I've, I've heard some commentary about this story, read some things, and a lot of them focus on uh, Jacob's efforts. And it does seem to be that Jacob wrestled, almost forced a blessing out of the Lord, whether it's an angel representing the Lord or, or God himself. But uh, as I looked at it, I noticed a couple of things that indicated that Jacob didn't view this as him forcing God to give him a blessing. The very beginning of the wrestle in verse 24, it says that Jacob was left alone. And that phrase is powerful because if you remember, it's the very same one that was used to describe Moses after the presence of God had left him. He was left to himself, left to his own strength. 
And so in his own strength, then Jacob has this wrestle where his hip is dislocated and uh, the being that blesses him changes his name, which could be read, uh, he prevails, or with President Nelson's instruction, uh, much more clearly, God prevails. And what's interesting is at the end of this, Jacob's lesson learned is in verse 30. Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, for I have seen God face to face, and then this, and my life is preserved or spared. Meaning Jacob recognizes that this could have been something that destroyed him. And but for God being kind to him, uh, he was able to survive it. And so for Jacob, this is an experience where he learns that God, ha- God alone has the strength that is needed to accomplish the mission that he's been given and to fulfill the promises that come to him. And uh, but what a, I mentioned the last one was difficult for me. This one maybe is even more difficult to accept that my strength isn't sufficient to do what it is that I want to do, that I need God's strength to do that, uh, the will that he's given me. Perhaps that's why the next chapter about Esau was just so moving to me is because we see Jacob really come to his knees in, in terms of just, we see him realize that this is it. I'm going to let God prevail. You see that change. And then as he meets Esau and there's forgiveness and there's love there, I think that just made it even more poignant of saying, this is what can happen. And of course, it's not always going to look exactly like this story, but I love the idea of it that at least the way I took it is that God was there in that forgiveness as we were thinking about last week and the the struggle and the fighting between Esau and Jacob, that was real. There's There were bitter feelings and hard. I mean, he stole a birthright from him, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and tricked him and a lot of other things. And here we see this, this beautiful forgiveness that is a sign to me that, that God is prevailing in that relationship as well. And I know for me, some of the most, some of the times in my life when I felt God the strongest is in these times of forgiveness um, for myself and for other people. And I feel like that's a great reminder to allow God's grace to prevail in our lives as well. In fact, I, I loved uh, verse 10 when Jacob says to Esau, I have seen thy face as though I had seen the face of God. And just the chapter before, he has seen God face to face. I think seeing that verse 10 allows us to view this relationship a little more, uh, or at least view a layer of it symbolically. Of course, this is a reuniting of Jacob with Esau. But in this moment, in this story, Esau's actions towards Jacob can represent God's actions towards all of us. Listen to verse 4 with that symbolism in mind. And Esau ran to meet him and embraced him and fell on his neck and kissed him and they wept. Reminds me of the father in the story of the prodigal son. When the son comes back, that father running to him, embracing him, putting on him the royal robe and the and the ring on his finger and uh killing the fatted calf and making the feast for him, which seems to be Esau's attitude towards Jacob. And so I love this idea of letting God's grace and forgiveness prevail, both uh, forgiveness for other people and maybe even forgiveness for ourselves, letting God be kind to us. 
I don't know, there was something about these this study this week that just was a beautiful reminder to me of the way that God grows with us as we journey with him. Um, the points, just to go back as I'm looking at these, let God's vision prevail, let his instruction prevail, let his strength prevail, and let his grace prevail in our lives. Let him let him work with us. Let, him, let us um, see that greater vision that he has for us. And as we see Jacob, um, kind of that, like I brought up earlier, that bright-eyed boy out on this new journey. And then we end with this really rich and deep forgiveness of a person who's had a journey that hasn't been easy and has been like the straight that we talked about last time that wasn't very straight. But we see this very beautiful um, forgiveness and almost unworthy feeling. Like, I can't believe that my brother is forgiving me and I can't believe that God is blessing me in this way. But I am going to dedicate everything that I have to him as we see this verse that Zach already read of at the very end of chapter 33. And he set up an altar there and called it God, the God of Israel. It's a tried and true pattern that he's seen that if he lets God, lets God, allows God to prevail, that um, God is going to help him in everything that he does. And I think that that's just, for me this week has become a beautiful symbol of, um, for my own journey and to remind myself that that's where God wants me to show up to. Well, maybe this cross-reference to conclude in uh, Ether 3, we, have, we jump right into the middle of the story of the brother of Jared. And if we're not careful, we can misread the story of the brother of Jared as one of human ingenuity and success. The Lord asks him, what do you want me to do about light and your ships? And the brother of Jared comes up with this great idea and God touches the stones and it's a miracle. And if we're not careful, in fact, I've even heard it described this way of look at what the Lord helped the brother of Jared to learn about himself. He helped him gain confidence and strength and realize his own power, which that would be an okay way to view the story if it wasn't for the brother of Jared's own summary of his experience. This is chapter three, verse four. And now, and I know, O Lord, that thou hast all power and can do whatsoever thou wilt for the benefit of man. Therefore, touch these stones, O Lord, with thy finger, and prepare them that they may shine forth in darkness. In other words, the lesson the brother Jared learned from this wasn't, look how good I am and how capable I've become. It's, look how powerful the Lord is. I think if we're not careful, we can misread the story of Jacob and many of the stories in the Old Testament similarly as a story of human success and conquest, and we can emulate them and try and achieve just like they did. But if you look at the stories close enough, you see the thread is similar in all of these. They are only great when they finally allow God to prevail in their lives. In fact, the Old Testament, I think, is a story of God prevailing in people's lives. And when they do that, then they see the blessings that he promises. So as you study this week and consider your own relationship with God, what are the areas that you can allow God to prevail in your life? What answers can you come up with to the questions that President Nelson gave? Before we end this week, one connect idea that you could use as you study with others from that story of the brother of Jared. There's three different questions the brother of Jared asks and three different answers the Lord gives. And it's, I think, a wonderful way to look at how the Lord teaches someone. So if you're teaching someone else, your children or Sunday school class or seminary class, you might reflect on the way the Lord 
helped the brother of Jared to learn what he learned. To the answer about the question of light, the Lord uh, gave the brother of Jared an opportunity to search for his own answers. And many times in our classes, we do just that with our students. We ask them questions that allow them to search for answers. To the answer or to the question about air, the Lord gave specific directions and expected them to be followed. And again, in our classes, we can do the same thing. We can give directions for group work or directions for writing assignments. And then the third one to the question about steering, the Lord just gave the answer and took care of all of it. And sometimes we can do that in our classes too, where we just share something that we have seen or that we have experienced in the scriptures. Now, those three things might seem like a really basic idea, but we come into trouble when we start to mix them up. For example, when we give the answer to light to the question of steering. In other words, uh, when we ask students a question, but we really just want to show them something that we found in the scriptures. But we know that we're supposed to ask questions, and so we ask them these leading questions to get them to the point where we can tell them the thing that we want to tell them. If we have something to tell them, just tell them. Similarly, uh, we sometimes can talk ourselves, overly talk, about things that students should be wrestling to find on their own. Maybe things that they're more expert and familiar with, like what it is to be a teenager and how the gospel interacts with teenage life. And so as you consider your uh, students, quote unquote, whoever they may be, make sure that you're giving the right answers to the right questions, that you're designing the right kinds of experiences for the right kinds of outcomes. Thank you so much for studying with us this week. We will see you next episode.